Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. You know, there are some stories that uh, would be better if they just ended sooner. Uh, In our world of streaming, it seems like there are far more places to put movies and shows than there are ideas for new movies and shows. And so what happens, at least that's how it appears to me, is that we get a whole lot of of sequels to movies that were 20, 30 years old and reboots of shows that have been off the air for some time. And I don't know if you've experienced this or not, that maybe you got uh, news that a show that you loved as a kid was going to be coming back, and you got all excited to, to hear more about that story, or a movie was going to have a sequel made to it you've been waiting for for some time, and then it shows up, and you're just kind of let down. And it's not that there was anything wrong with the original, it's just the only problem was that the people that made the original didn't make as much money as they could have off the original, and so they thought, well, let's make another one, let's make another season, whatever it might be, so that we can make a little more money, and the result is that the story would have been better if it had just ended sooner. It seems like about half the time I will finish reading a book and Whitney will ask me what I thought of it, and and one of the first things I'll say will be, well, it would have been better if it was shorter which is probably what a lot of you also say on Sunday afternoons when you're asked about the sermon that morning, but we won't, we won't go there. There are some stories that would just be better. There are some things that would be better off if they just knew when to stop. And I, I say that because in the parable that Jesus gives us that we're going to be looking at today in Matthew chapter 22, I think we might have the same thought. I'm going to break our passage for this morning down into two parts, and my guess is that if you are not a follower of Jesus, or even if you are, that, if you would, that as you read this story, you might be okay with the story ending after the first part that we're going to look at this morning. And yet, for some reason, Jesus does not stop the story when we might think that he should, and that might throw us off a little bit. We might react to that in a few different ways. We might just ignore uh, the, the end of the story. We might think, well, the first part's good enough. We can just stop there and just take the good of Jesus and throw away the bad. We can maybe just throw the whole thing out and read the whole story and say, well, Jesus is just kind of behind the times. He didn't really understand what we know now, so let's just kind of move on. Or, and I would hope that this would be our perspective this morning, that we can come to these words of Jesus and acknowledge that, yes, they seem odd. Yes, they cut against some of my own assumptions or some of the assumptions that we might find in the world around us. And yet, if Jesus is who he claims to be, and at least speaking for myself, I believe he is who he claims to be because he died and rose from the grave, then he must know more than I do. So even if I don't like it, I can come to his words on his own terms, not just thinking I know better, not taking the good and sifting out the bad, but taking it as one fully formed whole picture of who Jesus is and what this kingdom that he has come to establish is all about. Because ultimately this story is not just a story that would have been good if it had stopped sooner. It's Jesus calling us to a fully formed picture of the grace he has come to bring us. Because this grace is free, but it is not cheap. 
Like I said, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22, if you have a Bible and want to open it up there, and we're in the midst of Jesus' last week of earthly life and ministry. And over the last few weeks, we've seen the stories that Jesus has been telling in response to his opponents. This story we're looking at today is the third of three that Jesus tells right in succession as he is being confronted by the religious authorities of his day. And Jesus tells all three of these stories to demonstrate that he is who he claims to be. And that those who are opposed to him, those that are trying to trap him in his words, those that are trying to get him put to death, they stand opposed not just to Jesus, but to God himself. Because Jesus has come to announce that God's kingdom is coming into the world. And those who are comfortable with the setup of their own kingdoms don't like God's kingdom showing up. But those who are willing to let go of their kingdom and take hold of Jesus will find life. And Jesus gives us a glimpse of what that looks like in this parable. I want to read the first part of this for us. Matthew 22, verses 1 to 10. It says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened calf have been butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, well... The wedding banquet's ready, but but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. The world Jesus lived in was a world where the schedule was not as regimented as ours tends to be, and it was one where preparing meals was not as as simple and straightforward as ours can be. And so for both of those reasons, when you're hosting a banquet in the day of Jesus, you don't send out an invitation that says, hey, we're eating at 5.30, the food's going to be hot then, you better be, be there sitting at the table when that happens. You would let people know that on this specific date we're going to be having a banquet, so have that on your calendar, be ready, and then when that day comes, when the food is ready, someone, a messenger, a servant will come and let you know that, hey, it's time to come and eat. And that's the scene Jesus describes here, and something like this would be a big deal. It's not uncommon in Jesus' day for a wedding reception to last for an entire week, and those, that's just a wedding reception for an average couple. The, the scene Jesus describes here is a wedding banquet for the king's son. Getting invited to a party like this is a big deal, and yet, when the message goes out that the party is starting, there's no excitement. And instead, there's rejection. And no one comes. And that probably doesn't surprise us quite as much as it would have surprised the people listening to Jesus tell this story. I mean, we've all probably experience the situation of committing to something ahead of time and then the day comes and something else has come up and you're not able to make it or you know you commit to something knowing that you don't really want to go and then the day comes and you're like oh sorry I forgot or maybe that maybe I'm just revealing too much about myself right now but the situation Jesus describes here 
is not one of overbooking a schedule. It is a case of rebellion. You don't say no when the king invites you to a banquet. I mean, for one, if the king is throwing a party, you can bet it is going to be the most extravagant banquet you have ever been invited to, and you don't want to miss a party like that. But more than that, if the king invites you to a party, that means the person who holds all authority over your existence is telling you to do something, and you don't say no to someone like that lightly. To go against the orders of the king is to at least create the impression that you're rebelling against him, and that will not go well for you. And yet, that's what the people here do. And if you notice at first, the king is gracious. It would not have shocked anyone listening to Jesus tell this story if the king had immediately assumed that he had a rebellion on his hands and he dealt with it immediately. But if you notice, he sends out a second round of messengers, and they go out with a more detailed uh, sales pitch for why they should come to the banquet there in verse 4. The servants go out and they are told to, to tell the people that have already said they don't want to come that, you know, the oxen, the fattened calf have been butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Come and eat. Supper's on the table. There is a perfectly prepared steak with your name on it. Come and join the party. And the rebellion continues. There, there, there's a upping of the ante of the rejection here. Some people just walk away. They've got more, things, more important things to worry about than going to the king's son's wedding banquet. Some get more worked up. They beat up the servants. They mistreat them. They even put some of them to death. They want nothing to do with this king and his son's wedding banquet. So the king sends his troops to deal with those who have rejected his authority. They might not like it, but but he's in charge, and a good king is not going to stand for the injustice of his servants being put to death. So the king deals with that problem, but you still have the problem here of what to do about no one showing up to this wedding banquet. I mean, there's supposed to be this massive party, but everyone who was invited has sent back their invitation with an RSVP of no. Something has to be done and quickly. So he sends his servants out again, but if you notice this time, it's to a different audience. He says to go out, invite anyone you can find. The language used there, it would be like if we were doing this in our day, it would be saying go out to where Highway 52 and Broadway enter into Rochester and hold up signs and wave down every car you can find. Let them know there is a party happening and they are invited. Go downtown, go down every block, alleyway, everywhere you can find. Tell people that there is a party and that they need to come and join in it. It doesn't matter who the person is. It doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter what other plans they have this evening. The king wants them to come to his banquet. And that's what happens. If you notice there in verse 10, Jesus says that the bad as well as the good come to the banquet. There are no restrictions on who can come. If you have a pulse, you're invited to the king's banquet. And that's a portrait of Jesus' kingdom. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done or what has been done to you. It does not matter what questions, reservations, guilt, or shame you are holding even at this very moment. The God of the universe, the King of all, is inviting you to come to his table. He's not inviting you because you've earned his favor. He's inviting you out of his own abundance. He wants you to come and enjoy that abundance. He's inviting everyone, the bad as well as the good, because there was room in the banquet hall 
for you. And it's all because of grace. Grace is undeserved favor. Grace says you don't have to earn your way into the king's approval. Grace says it doesn't matter what connections you have, what degrees are on your wall, how much is in your bank account. Grace says there is a seat at the table for you, not because you are good enough, but because the king is better than you could ever imagine. That is what Jesus' kingdom is like. And if we're being honest, right there's a really nice place to end the story. I mean, there's been some messy parts, don't get me wrong, but we could end it on that note. We have to deal with the fact that this king has apparently burned down a city, but we could make sense of that in context, that if you've got a rebellion on your hands as a king, you want to deal with it. And besides that, I mean, that messy bit is drowned out by the invitation at the end of this part of the story. The king has extended grace. Sure, there were some who rejected the offer, but that didn't mean the king closed his doors. It meant he swung them open wider than they had ever been before and brought in anyone, even the people we might think a king would want nothing to do with. People, people like us. People who are not worthy to be in the king's presence the people who are welcomed in by grace, free grace. It's not a bad story if we end it right there. We could just celebrate that the king just wants us to come to the party. We could get out of here with some pep in our step. The rebels, the pretentious people that thought they were too good for the king's wedding banquet, they've been rejected. The king has invited us into the party. That would be a nice way to end the story, but but the story isn't over. Because ultimately, this story is not just about being welcomed into a party you did not deserve to attend. It's, it's a story about those who reject the invitation of the king. Up to this point, we've seen those who rejected the invitation of the king by refusing to come to the party at all. The rest of the story shows us rejection that comes from those who want to come to the banquet, just not on the king's terms. And what we find is that both are a rejection of the king and his grace. Picking up in verse 11, Jesus says, but when the king came in to see the guests, he, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited a few are chosen. After what we thought might be the happy ending, the king walks in and notices someone not properly dressed. And the king asks this man to explain himself, and when he doesn't have an answer, he is tied up and thrown out. And if you hear that and think that might be an overreaction, I, I think you might be justified to an extent. But But what is going on? I mean, does the king just have a really strict dress code, or is it something else? Well, I think there are a few details here that show us that there is at least something else going on, because if you notice, first off, the king says that he's not wearing wedding clothes, which at least implies that there is an expectation of what you wear to a wedding in Jesus' day, and this man hasn't done it. He was invited just like everyone else. It's just instead of taking the time to go home and clean up and put on the proper attire, he just showed up. 
And next, you notice the king addresses this man as friend. And we might think of that as minor enough, but if you sit down and read through the Gospel of Matthew and notice every time the word friend shows up, Matthew always uses it to refer to someone who should know better and doesn't. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and his disciple Judas shows up to to betray him over to this mob that arrests him, Jesus refers to Judas as friend. This man is in the wrong, and the king is justified to react in this way. But even then, if you notice the way he reacts, he's in charge of everything. He's at his son's wedding banquet, and yet he still gives him the opportunity to explain himself. And when the man has no explanation, when he is speechless, it is at that point that he's thrown out of the party. So what is this grave offense that has been committed with this man's attire? I mean, he's not thrown out because he tried to enter the party when he wasn't invited. He's thrown out because he did not enter properly. There was an invitation extended to anyone who might want to come, and there was an expectation that anyone who did enter would do so properly. And this man apparently did not think that was necessary, that he was good enough as he was. And so when the king saw him, he had no defense. The king had welcomed him by grace. But his grace was not a free pass to do whatever he wished. It was an invitation to come to the king's party on the king's terms. So maybe throwing this man out is not as harsh as it initially sounds. I mean, this man had committed a wrong. He had no defense as to why he had done this. And yet we still might think it's a little over the top. I mean, is Jesus saying that grace gets you in the party, but only if you clean yourself up first? I mean, what is, does all of this actually mean? What does it mean to actually enter properly? If I can try to summarize what Jesus is getting at and then try to explain it with the rest of the time we have this morning, I think Jesus calls us to free grace, not cheap grace. Grace is available for anyone and everyone, but it is grace on his terms. He is welcoming us in as we are, but not to stay as we are. He's calling us to be transformed by grace. And that might sound harsh, but when something matters, we expect it to be treated properly. For our uh, wedding, we asked all of my uh, groomsmen to wear white shirts and navy pants as a, uh, during the ceremony. And so Whitney found the uh, exact pants that she wanted them to wear online. I sent all of them the link, said, hey, buy these pants for the ceremony. But what I missed when I sent that out was that the link I sent them gave a couple options for what colors of pants to get. And I did not specify, for whatever reason, that we wanted navy pants. So at least two of my six groomsmen said, hey, I black pants, right? Because that's what I bought. And when I got that message that they had bought black pants instead of navy pants, do you think my response in that moment was, eh, close enough? No, I, I know better than that. Uh, I said, no, you're, you're getting navy pants, and uh, you all have jobs where you have to wear dress pants often enough, so it's fine. Um, so we had dealt with that. Uh, Friday comes, the day before our wedding. I'm sitting down eating breakfast with all of my groomsmen, and one of them says to me, hey, like, I know, I know we've got the rehearsal, rehearsal dinner tonight, but like, what, what do we got going on this afternoon? Anything really pressing or things? I was like, no, we were just going to kind of hang out and relax a little bit. Why? And he goes, well, uh, I kind of don't have a shirt yet 
for the wedding or shoes. Um, do you think, like, is there a mall around here somewhere we could go to take care of that? Or do you think my response in that moment was, I mean, you're wearing a hoodie right now. That's close enough. And those sneakers you got on are close enough to brown. I'm sure it's fine. No, I, if I had, he and I both would have been tied and bound and thrown out into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, let's be reasonable here. Because, and you all are laughing, because that makes sense, because it was something that mattered and it had to be treated properly. And that is the difference between free grace and cheap grace. Cheap grace says you are fine as you are. Free grace says you are being invited to the king's banquet, so that should transform you. Cheap grace says the king is coming down to your level, so that must mean that your level is good enough. Free grace says the king is coming down to your level so that he can raise you up to royalty. Cheap grace says come as you are. Free grace says come as you are, but do not stay as you are. Cheap grace says you can't earn your place at the table, so don't even try. Free grace says you can't earn your place at the table, but being at the table will make you worthy. Cheap grace says we can get most of the way there on our own, and most of the way there is good enough. Free grace says anything short of responding to the grace of the king properly is a rejection of who he is. It might be simpler if we stopped the story after the first half and just tried to find a happy ending, but stopping there leaves us with cheap grace. And the rest of the story might make us uncomfortable at the first glance, but when we take the story as a whole, we get free grace. Jesus is not calling us to come to the banquet because the people he had invited turned him down, and he's really going to feel bad if there's empty seats at the banquet, so he just needs to fill the room. A mere invitation would be cheap grace. Instead, he is inviting us into this party that will transform us when we enter properly on the terms of free grace. And sure, that calls us to something more. If we were to just read this parable from the perspective of cheap grace, it turns the story into one of us versus them. We're the ones that have said yes to Jesus. We've accepted grace. We've figured it out. Those people out there that rejected Jesus, they've missed it. We are better than them. We figured something out that they have not. And that would be a nice story to tell ourselves, but it is not the one Jesus gives us. The story he gives us is whether we want cheap grace or free grace. Because cheap grace is on our terms and free grace is on his. Cheap grace says you're good enough on your own. And that might show itself by trying to reject the authority of the king altogether and not even show up to the banquet. It might show itself by trying to show up not wearing the proper attire, but it is altogether a rejection of the king. Free grace says the king is inviting me even though I don't deserve it, and that fact has transformed me completely. Grace is available to each and every one of us, but it is free grace, not cheap grace. The first part of this parable shows us that those who want nothing to do with the king's grace will be rejected. The second part shows us that those who only want partial grace, only want cheap grace, they will be rejected as well because both are rejecting who the king is and what he has come to offer them. But those who accept free grace are transformed. So how do we get free grace? Ultimately, no matter 
if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, the issue boils down to whether or not we think we can be good enough on our own or if we are living each day by grace. Because the offer of grace is free for everyone, but it calls us to transformation. Jesus is calling you to him by grace. He's not calling you to say yes to him once so that you get that box checked as far as where your eternal destiny is headed and then you're free to go do whatever you want for the rest of your life. He is not saying that if you come to him, you'll have heaven taken care of, but in the meantime, you're going to need something else, your, your social status, your political affiliation, your own morality, your financial situation to take care of you because he's only interested in your eternal destiny. That is not who Jesus is. Cheap grace says, Jesus is fine for the future. I need something else now. Free grace says, Jesus is everything I need here, now, and always. The issue is not, did I say yes to Jesus at some point in the past? The issue is, am I waking up every morning saying yes to Jesus? Not because you need to work really hard to stay in good standing with him, but because saying yes to the grace of God every day is the only way to find true life. Every single one of us has been invited to the king's banquet, even though we don't deserve it, so it makes no sense to try to come in as if we do. We're invited to come in by free grace, and not settling for anything less. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor who was put to death by the Nazis right at the end of World War II. Uh, and he's, in one of his books, he uses that idea of cheap grace that we've been talking about this morning. But in a different book, Life Together, he gives this quote, and it's a little lengthy, so the words are going to be on the screen. You can follow along with me, but I think it captures the heart of what it means to be transformed by coming to Jesus by free grace. He writes, you are a sinner, a great, desperate sinner. Now come as the sinner that you are to the God who loves you. He wants you as you are. He does not want anything from you, a sacrifice, a work. He wants you alone. God has come to you to save the sinner. Be glad. This message is liberation through truth. You can hide nothing from God. The mask you wear before men will do you no good before him. He wants to see you as you are. He wants to be gracious to you. You do not have to go on lying to yourself and your brothers as if you were without sin. You can dare to be a sinner. Thank God for that. He loves the sinner, but he hates sin. Free grace tells us we are sinners, but that when we acknowledge that, we can come to the God who loves us and experience his transforming free grace. And that can be hard, if we're being honest, because the allure of cheap grace is that it gives us partial credit. Free grace says there's no credit for us to take. Our life is all up to the grace of God, and experiencing that grace on those terms will transform us. Cheap grace is no grace at all, because it will never be able to actually save us. But free grace says that the God who loves us welcomes us to his banquet in order to transform us. Whitney and Isaac and I have been reading a book on ministry together over the last month or so, and we're only about 
uh, 40% of the way through it or so. So I don't have a fully formed opinion at this point, but one of the takeaways I have had through reading it and through talking about it with them as we've done it is that I don't want to be okay with settling. As a follower of Jesus, as a minister, as a husband, as a man, I don't want to be okay with settling. I don't want to settle into a comfortable life of cheap grace that checks boxes in order to stay on God's good side because life with Jesus is so much more. I don't want to settle. And I don't want you to settle either. Not in the sense that I think none of you are trying hard enough to earn God's favor and you need to straighten up or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying at all. I hope you don't want to settle because Jesus has made free grace available and you should not want to settle for anything less. Don't settle for trying to sneak into the wedding banquet with your regular clothes on because it's not the life you were created for. Come enjoy the fullness of life with your king at the banquet table. Be transformed by free grace and don't let anything get in the way. Cheap grace will fail you. It's never enough. It always needs something else to sustain it. The free grace of Jesus will never let you down. So live in free grace. Either continue to live in free grace or start living in free grace today. I'm not asking you to wake up every morning wondering what you've got to do that day to keep God off your back. I'm asking you to wake up each day grateful for another day of life, asking God what he has in store for you as you experience the free grace of his kingdom. King is inviting you in by free grace. Nothing will ever be more important. Don't ignore it. Don't settle for less. Don't let anything get in the way. Come be transformed at the table of free grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for inviting us to your table. That there was nothing we could have done to mend the situation. That there was nothing we could ever do to earn right standing before you. But you sent your son so that we might be made new. So Father, we ask this morning that you would help us try to get our arms around just how immense grace is and how transforming it is for us, God, for us who settle for being good enough on our own. Show us the futility of our thinking and show us the sufficiency of your grace. For those of us who are hurting, God, would you help us sense your comfort and your grace. And no matter who we are this morning, help us listen to who you are so that we might be transformed by you and walk with you all the days of our life. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. We hope that you were encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French. Thank you.